Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Hey, everybody. We got a great one today. You know, for a change, Dana Milbank, opinion columnist for the Washington Post, joins me to talk about the New speaker of the MAGA House, Mike Johnson. Who would have thought, you know, that Kevin McCarthy wasn't so bad? I, I mean, ideologically. He, uh, he is a Republican and would be anything he felt his uh, caucus wanted him to be. But, but this guy, Mike Johnson, if that really is his name. Not Mike Johnson is his name. Learn how to pronounce it. Mike Johnson from Louisiana, evidently uh, not a terrible human being in the sense that he's not Jim Jordan and gets along with colleagues, but a far-right religious ideologue who believes in terrible, hateful things. For example, that same-gender sexual activity is a sin against God, uh, which... Fits his caucus. It's a scary time. It appears that, like his caucus, he still believes or more likely pretends to believe that Trump won the 2020 election. And I am beginning to believe that Trump could actually win this election. I know. And I mean, even if he's convicted, even if he's in prison, which is unlikely, but I don't know why he doesn't get convicted in the January 6th uh, trial. I don't, I don't know how the appeals process works in that timeline in terms of the November election. I should know, and usually this podcast is entirely fact-based, but I, I don't. I, I'm, I'm kind of just riffing here. But I could easily see Trump getting convicted in the January 6th trial and uh, in Georgia this past week, we had Jenna Ellis and Sidney Powell and the Cheesebro uh, guy, cop please, in the Georgia case. And that's in state court, which uh, he can't pardon himself for, uh, even if he, if he uh, does get elected. I, I, I mean, can the president serve as president from a state prison? That doesn't seem likely, but we are a nation of laws. There, there would be a lot of pressure on Congress, even a Democratic Congress, to write some legislation, I suppose, that would spring him so he could work out of 1600. But would Democrats even do that? I, I, or I imagine Trump might take it to the Supreme Court, but they, they refused to take the Texas case, remember, right after 
Uh, Biden won the 2020 election. The Texas attorney general tried to get the Supreme Court to decertify the results in Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. But the 6-3 conservative uh, Supreme Court, uh, three of whom Trump picked, rejected that case. Doe. And guess who wrote the amicus brief for that case, a friend of the court brief for that case, that over 100 of his House Republicans signed on to, Mike Johnson. Yep. And this guy still refuses to acknowledge that Joe Biden won the 2020 election and believes that same-sex sexual relations are a sin against God. And will he pass a continuing resolution by November 17th to keep the government running? <sighs> well, give a listen and see what Dana Milbank thinks. It's, uh, it's a great one today. You know, <laughs> for a change. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me learn real-life conversation in German. For example... Let's say you wanted to order soup with your dinner. Die Suppe würde mir auch gefallen. That means the soup. <laughs> that, means, that means I would also like the soup. And that way, I get soup with dinner. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash franken. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash franken, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash franken. Rules and restrictions may apply. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Dana, thank you for joining us. Dana Milbank is with us. It's always a pleasure. Uh, you're an opinion columnist uh, for the Washington Post. So maybe asking your opinion. That's that's what I offer. Okay. How, how long has this process been going on to pick a new speaker? God, it feels like years, but it was actually 22 days from the moment they booted McCarthy till they voted in this guy whose name nobody can remember. Uh, it's Mike Johnson. That's it. There. Well, I helped you out there. Appreciate it. Now, you obviously follow the house very closely. Uh, did you know Mike Johnson? Did you have to Google him or did you know? Well, I did um, because I've been very avidly following the weaponization committee where he's been, you know, sort of out there with the deep state stuff and screaming and yelling uh, at the Democrats. And he was also pretty prominent during the uh, uh, Trump's first impeachment uh, as a defender on the Judiciary Committee. So 
you know, for the connoisseur, uh, he was not an unknown quantity. What, what did he do for, for that first impeachment? Wasn't he counsel to it in some way? Well, yeah, I mean, he was he was a member of the uh, Judiciary Committee, uh, and he did a lot of uh, screaming and yelling in defense of Trump. You know, he was overshadowed, uh, to be fair, by uh, Jim Jordan uh, and some others. But, uh, you know, that was sort of his debut to an extent. But I mean, he remains, you know, as as you mentioned, you know, almost entirely unknown. We had uh, Susan Collins, who's, you know, the top Republican on appropriations, said she had to Google him. We had Paul Gozar, you know, congratulating uh, Jim Johnson. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, and we had uh, Kay Granger, the uh, head of uh, appropriations in the House, uh, stands up and votes for Mike Rogers. And they said, wait, I mean, Mike Johnson. So, uh <laughs> Even his, even his colleagues are a bit confused about all of this. Well, the, that kind of that name, Mike Johnson. There's a lot of Mike Johnsons in Minnesota, right? In a sense, we all know a Mike Johnson. We all do. And well, let's get to know this Mike Johnson. But but first, let, can can you talk us through these uh, 22 days from the ousting of McCarthy to all these different nominees, Scalise and. The Jordan saga and Emmer, and can you give us a little the history of? Yeah, I mean, I've been hanging out at a combination of the the, uh, the Capitol basement, uh, where I'm, I'm sure you've wandered, uh, and then the uh, Longworth Building, the Ways and Means Committee Room. And what we've been waiting for was the ouster of uh, Kevin McCarthy uh, by eight people. Steve Scalise, the majority leader, wins the election uh, in the caucus fair and square. But then the supporters of Jim Jordan, basically legislative terrorists, refused to support him, forcing him to go down. Um, I think it was 19 hours later. Then Jim Jordan gets his shot. And, you know, finally, you know, there's like five or six moderates in the House and a, uh, House Republicans and a few institutionalists. And for once, they got a backbone. And now, now did Jordan, did people receive threats? From, not uh, from Jordan himself, but from other yeah, no, folks. I mean, yeah, I mean, we uh, several members reported receiving uh, death threats. Some needed security for their kids. Don Bacon, a, a moderate from uh, Nebraska, his wife received threats. Uh, it, you know, it was really truly ugly. Now, it wasn't anything that Democrats uh, and you know, committee witnesses who had been the target of Jim Jordan in the past hadn't received that it, that that was fairly common. But this time, well, they were you know the threats were directed uh, at Republicans and they were incensed about it. You know, and Jim Jordan said, "Hey, I'm not doing it," which was true. He was not actually the one calling in uh, the threats, uh, but neither did he seem to be making any real effort to stop it from happening. And that's you know, I mean, John Boehner is called him a legislative terrorist and. That's how he functions with bullying and with threats. He he went up for three votes, right? And each time less. Yeah, less. he actually went to the House floor. That was part of the bullying effort. He knew he didn't have the votes, but he wanted to concentrate the rage of uh, you know Trump and Steve Bannon and uh, Sean Hannity and everybody else on these twenty, eventually twenty five uh, uh, holdouts. Uh, but it didn't work, and I, I have to say I was surprised by that. The squishes in the Republican Party always <laughs> seemed to give in to the hardliners. That was one time. Uh, when they didn't. So yeah, he three failed votes on the floor and finally it took a week or so. But then uh, Jordan was out. Then we went through the whole Hollywood uh, squares of, you know, of, of nine candidates. 
Tom Emmerer, who's sort of been a non-entity. He was Kevin McCarthy's, you know, as whip, he was the top vote counter for Kevin McCarthy. We know how well that went. Uh, and he set the land speed record. I, it was four hours and seven minutes he was the nominee for before. I uh, thought it was going to be Emmerer. I mean, I'm from Minnesota and Emmerer. Emmer's not a bad guy, but what what did him in is that he said that Biden won the election. Yes, which is, uh, you know, obviously a cardinal sin. And also voted for same-sex marriage, right? Yeah, and both were just really unforgivable um, uh, (laughs) in in this caucus. And, uh, you know, he was was savaged, you know, immediately. It was sort of the same treatment that uh, Scalise got. But it was the added component of, of Trump jumping in and calling him a rhino. Glo- a rhino globalist. I a rhino globalist as opposed to the parochial rhinos. Right. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, he, he was he was completely, you know, so he was doomed from the start. And I mean, it was just uh, it, that was just mayhem. Uh, that was Tuesday. I'm, I've lost track of <laughs> the days of this week. Uh, but then they turned around, you know, basically six hours later. And I think it was just basically a sense of exhaustion in the caucus. And, they, and they, I think the moderates like, fine, Mike Johnson will do. He may have the same views as Jim Jordan, but he's not, you know, at least he's polite uh, and affable. The conservatives got the guy they wanted. Uh, and then but th- you know, this so is an extreme extreme right-wing conservative yeah there's no question about it i mean you know but you know in the house republican caucus i i think the the far right now has and has had effective control over that so uh he's not particularly you know he's certainly not an outlier in the house republican caucus but you know he's much more in line with the matt gates of the world the, the holdouts who had been bedeviling kevin mccarthy from the first day so you know really the question is now is he actually going to govern that way and sort of dare the uh you know force the uh moderates the establishment republicans such as uh, such as they are the institutionalists to to go along with that plan and essentially bully them uh into going along with this agenda or there's also the possibility that uh, because he's a true believer he'll have more credibility when he says to the hardliners, look, we can't do this. We've got to compromise. So I, I, I'm hopeful for the second, but the, you know, the past does not give us a lot of reason for hope. Well, what you're saying there is that the hard right majority will cut him some slack, saying we know you're really where they wouldn't give that to McCarthy. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of the optimistic uh, outlook here. And you're hearing some of them say, okay, we can go with a continuing resolution, you know, to keep the government funded, whether it's through January or through April. And they really weren't letting McCarthy get away with that. And they're saying, well, okay, the government's going to shut down in three weeks. We got, we got to give this guy a chance. But then you're also hearing Chip Roy uh, from Texas and others saying, okay, we can have a continuing resolutions, but it's got to be like, you know, something like, you know, slashing the entire government by 30%. So, I mean, if that's the standard there, you know, then we are going to have a government shutdown after November 17th. Right. And those those right-wing Republicans realize we do have a Senate and a president and how the government works. Well, I mean, they, they may realize that in an intellectual level, but, you know, you got to remember that, you know, the people 
uh, electing Chip Roy are the, you know, the tiny sliver, you know, 12% of the electorate voting in a Republican primary. You know, he was saying during the, the 22 days without a speaker, he said, you know, his voters were actually liking what they see. They like to see them put up the fight. So I think it was 70% of the country was saying this is an unacceptable way to do business. But Chip Roy represents that 30% that's like, sure, just, just shut down the entire government. We don't like what they do anyway. Let me ask you about that in in terms of gerrymandering and how we elect our representatives. This is something that hasn't gotten enough attention, which is the Supreme Court ruled a few years ago that they can't uh, rule on partisan gerrymandering. They can do it on racial gerrymandering, right? Like they did on... Right. But you have these state legislatures gerrymandering all these districts where they create a district where a Republican is going to win that race. It's 60% or more uh, Republican. And so the winner of the Republican primary is going to be, is going to be the nominee. So that, that means to get the nomination and to be the representative from that district is just the most hard right candidate wins, right? That's exactly right. Um, and, you know, there have been studies showing that, uh, you know, you take the eight most extreme members of the House, the ones who, you know, essentially the ones who booted McCarthy. And there was something like, you know, they are were elected by, uh, you know, combined the eight of them by, I don't remember the exact number, but in the tens of thousands of people in a country of uh, 330 million, you know, and it is true. There's a bit of the sort of the both sides, you know, everybody does the gerrymandering if you can get away with it now that the Supreme Court has blessed it. But right now we have going on in North Carolina, certainly the most extreme gerrymandering I've ever heard of. It's basically a 50-50 state, Democrats and Republicans, uh, seven Republican representatives in Congress, seven Democrats. So uh, the Republicans in the state legislature, with the blessing of the state Supreme Court and freed by the United States Supreme Court, have just redrawn the map so that there will be 10 Republican seats instead of instead of seven, and uh, uh, three Democratic seats instead of seven, and you know one is sort of uh, in play. You know, so that's not a democracy. So basically, uh, that's saying no matter what happens in the election, you are going to have ten Republicans uh, rep- <laughs> representing this state uh, in Congress. You know, it, it doesn't matter if the voters want to kick the bums out; they can't kick the bums out because the the seats aren't even remotely competitive. And that is the Roberts Court that uh, I think knew what it was doing. Oh, of course they knew what they were doing. Uh, now uh, there is going to be a challenge to this, saying that yeah, you've also you know diluted the uh, the, the vote of black voters, uh, which seems fairly clear. But uh, you know, will uh, will the courts even uphold uh, racial gerrymandering? Now you know who knows. You know, we talk about rigged elections. I mean, that's the definition of a rigged election. It doesn't matter how voters vote. You know what the outcome is going to be in advance. Well, let's let's. Talk about who Mike Johnson is, since everybody kind of had to Google him, and I didn't know anything about him. He is an extreme right-wing religious zealot. Would that be fair to say? I, 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 that would be it would be fair in, in, in my view. I mean, yes, certainly he's an evangelical Christian, uh, which that doesn't make him the zealot. Well, Jimmy Carter is is an evangelical right, Christian. Right. So, yeah. what, what I, I think makes him the zealot is, you know, what what he said about homosexuality, 
not just voting against gay rights and gay marriage, but uh, you know, supporting um, anti-sodomy uh, laws uh, at the state level. He believes that the Lawrence is is wrong. In other words, that I, I believe that he believes that uh, same-sex sex is a sin, right? And is unnatural. He says sexuality is inherently unnatural. Unnatural, and would make it a crime. So that's right, right. And that's his decision. Or he he is opposed to the Supreme Court's uh, decriminalization of gay sex. He said, by closing these bedroom doors, they have opened a Pandora's box. So that, uh, ladies and gentlemen, is the Speaker of the House. He's as extreme in these beliefs as Jim Jordan is. I'm not sure what Jim Jordan's... Jim Jordan feels like a pugilist or, a re- I guess, a wrestler, a grappler. And this guy, Mike Johnson, people like him. He's polite. He's affable. Now, look, I, I during these weaponization hearings, you know, they're led by Jim Jordan, but uh, Mike Johnson's been, uh, you know, shouting and heckling and interrupting. So, I, you know, I think the, the whole polite and affable thing can be overdone. But mm-hmm. in general, he doesn't sound like a, uh, a bomb thrower. So I think that's the difference. The views are there. He blamed, you know, after after uh, Katrina down in uh, Louisiana, he blamed the looting on secularism, liberalism, and legalized gambling. Okay. These sorts of views, obviously, are, you know, I mean, the, the Democrats are going to do whatever they can to uh, uh, make people uh, aware of this. You, you know, you saw a little bit of it in Hakeem Jeffries' speech inside uh, the House chamber and a lot more of it uh, in what they're saying in their statements outside uh, of the House chamber. And because... Uh, the man is undefined. He's a bit easier to demonize, and although I guess demonizing suggesting it, 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 you know, tarring him with something that's not accurate. In this case, you just need to sort of, you know, point out the actual things he said. And, and he was a, a lawyer for the Alliance Defending Freedom, which is a group that believes in, I believe, in sterilizing transgender people abroad. Yeah, I. I I, I haven't. I, I can't say I followed that particular group very closely, but yes, he is. Uh, that was what his uh, reputation was, and that, and working with you know Tony Perkins from the Family uh, Research Council, uh, uh, you know, as, as sort of a guest radio host for him. I, there's an editorial that ran in the in the Shreveport Louisiana paper where he wrote that uh, called the homosexuality is in, uh, inherently unnatural. I think you said that dangerous lifestyle that would lead to legalized pedophilia. Yeah, I mean, it it definitely sounds like something from another time, but it's back. I mean, the very fact, as we were discussing a moment ago, that uh, that Tom Emmer couldn't be the Speaker of the House because he thought that, uh, that gay marriage can be legal. Uh, <laughs> this is the other side of that same point. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Dana Milbank. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. 
What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. We're back. Dana Milbank from the Washington Post is uh, with us. As we talk today, we're, so there's, there's a, been a sh- another sh- mass shooting. And uh, I, I wanted to ask you, you you're, you're, your wife's a pollster, right? That's right. And her father is, is also yes. also a pollster. And I just want to ask you about guns. And this is another place where it seems like the American people's views on on this stuff are not, I mean, not, nothing's going to happen because of this one. Uh, something happened after Evaldi because there were, there were little children involved. But nothing's going to happen here. What does polling say about Americans' attitudes towards towards guns? I think it's the same old story that, uh, you know, if you look at where the the opinion is, uh, of course, Americans have had it with the constant violence uh, and mass shootings and want common sense uh, uh, gun control, background checks, whatnot. But it's always been a question about the intensity. The intensity of the pro-gun movement has been a lot stronger. And for that reason, Democrats have shied away from the issue. I think that has changed. Democrats are needlessly uh, timid on this issue, you know, same way they're sort of needlessly timid on crime, uh, for example. They could be out there quite a bit more on this, but that's not that's not where they are right now. And I, and I agree, nothing's going to uh, happen uh, in terms of legislation in this Congress, it, it, uh, or, or, or likely for some time to come. It just seems that our political system is going to accept this routine level of carnage. And yes, the one up in Maine was... Uh, particularly ugly, but this is happening every day in America. Where are Americans on like just AR-15s? That'll never happen. How, how, many, uh, how many Americans have AR-15s? How many guns are there out there? It's, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, the, the extremes of it, it, this happened a bit with the braces uh, uh, for guns, basically turning your common uh, handgun into uh, more of a, a, a long barrel assault weapon. You know, that fight uh, earlier this year in Congress, you had the, the House rising up against very common sense regulations coming from the Biden administration. So if anything, things are going uh, in the other direction. And, you know, and how many people are using uh, shoulder braces to, you know, to <laughs> to turn their uh, uh, handguns into deadlier weapons? There were, you know, very, very few Americans are actually doing that. So let, let, let's look at Trump's hold on the party. Uh, that seems total now, right? I, it seemed total before. There was a, a, a brief uh, uh, moment, I guess, before they rallied uh, around him again because of his legal troubles. You know, when he first rolled out his 2024 campaign, it looked like he had been done and DeSantis was on the rise. But that is long gone. Uh, so he is 
certainly as in command, uh, if not more so than uh, he's always been. I mean, you see it in the polls, obviously, where he's, you know, 40, 50 points ahead of his nearest competitor for the Republican nomination. That that contest is essentially over. But you also see it in the way the House Speaker election went. Uh, Chuck Fleischman, one of the, you know, unknown candidates, Trump actually released on his uh, Truth Social a series of texts from Fleischman. They were the most sycophantic things, saying, you know, please tell them they're voting now. We're all for Trump. All the remaining candidates are for Trump. We love him. And even Trump, who can, you know, never get enough of the, the sycophants, actually apparently thought this one was too much <laughs> because he actually posted it online to uh, humiliate uh, uh, Fleischman. You know, I had thought after the first indictment in New York that and Trump's support went up, I said, well, okay, but what's going to happen when there are more indictments? And now there have been more indictments and his support has solidified. Right. And and three guilty pleas down in, in Georgia and, and and it still solidifies. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm looking at those and every time you, you see a uh, you know, someone pleading guilty and they're going to testify, presumably against him. And I just started thinking very recently, oh, maybe that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter that he may be convicted. Say he gets convicted on on the January 6th trial. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. It it doesn't matter to the uh, Republican presidential primary voters. I mean, that's you know where we look at uh, his ninety percent support uh, or whatever it is. But you know, I still believe that seventy percent of this country is uh, is sane. You know, seventy percent of the country is you know looking at Donald Trump. Uh, you know, having an outburst in the courtroom, defying gag orders, storming out of the court, you know, looking at the guilty pleas, looking at the, you know, 22 chaotic days without a speaker uh, in the House and saying, hey, I don't really want to have this, you know, you know, running the country again. So it solidifies his, his base support. But uh, Donald Trump is doing nothing to uh, expand that uh, base of support. The very few persuadable voters in the middle are not going to be happy with this kind of chaos. And it's not necessarily captured in the polls, but it's going to be a question of a year from now, who is actually going to go out and vote? And are are people going to say, yeah, you know, I'm really fired up. I I just, you know, I'm really excited about, you know, all the the guilty pleas and uh, all the chaos. And that's really going to drive me to, you know, pull the lever for the Republicans. I think there are people going to be fired up about the guilty plea. I mean, you know, this is the information universe that we live in. It's the ban and, you know, flooding the zone with shit, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I think, I mean, yeah, I agree. There are people fired up, but I think those are in the the 30% who are, you know, not operating on a team normal, as they say. Except where do the polls, uh, uh, again, you're, uh, your wife's family. Yes, I get it. I get it through osmosis. But no, I don't. <laughs> I don't claim to be a polling expert. Right. But the polls are the polls are showing. You know. You know the horse race polls looking at the election a year out. They're useless. But they yeah they show you know a very tight election. Most show Biden slightly leading. Some like the Washington Post poll uh, show Trump leading. But again, those don't capture what turnout is going to be. Uh, and you know that's the real question of you know who's depressed. Uh, and who's not depressed. You know, there are a lot of people who are not in that MAGA 30% of America who are saying, I don't want the chaos. Well, this is why the third party vote in in 16 
was the difference, I would suggest. And I think data shows that. I think you're right. There's a certain percentage of Americans that will vote for Donald Trump and a certain percentage that won't. But the percentage that will is 46% or something like that. And 47%. And do you see any any traction from uh, a Robert Kennedy Jr. or Cornell West? It's hard to see for him just because I think people are aware of just how loony he is. So it's hard to see the traction there. But then you've got no labels, you know, which is Mark Penn, the former Democratic pollster, sort of turned against the Democratic Party, which is essentially, you know, I mean, I don't know what, you know, their intention is to reform American government, but the practical effect of what they were doing right now is to go to key battleground states and and effectively uh, hand the election to Donald Trump. So will it work? I don't think so. But uh it's certainly a threat that uh, democracy does not need at, at this particular. No, moment. and and that's Joe Lieberman too, right? Yep, yeah, that's 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 Joe Lieberman's crowd. So, um, you know, I think people will be wise to this and, uh, and see what that's about. It's a fair argument to say that we do need uh, this. Would be a good time for you know a shakeup in our. Uh, politics. Third parties never succeed, but they push us in a different direction. Oh, don't say that. Don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> Why did you say but that? This particular, but this particular effort uh, is a very cynical one. That and is, it's being you know, funded right by of course it's ba- you know right wing money the MAGA folks because they, you know they're then they're funding uh, RFK Jr. for that matter. So uh, yeah, this isn't. A, I sometimes it's good for a third party to shake things up. This isn't a third party effort. This is a a cynical. Uh, barnacle uh on the on the on the trump campaign so what what is the business before the congress first of all to get to keep the government going right yeah november 17th uh is the next deadline so uh they've got to figure out something about that i I probably even before that uh uh, figure out whether there'll be supplemental funding for israel which seems likely uh for ukraine which is likely but more in doubt now, now Johnson is not for funding U- Ukraine. He has voted against it, um, and you know the Gateses of the world are saying most in the. It, it's it, this is not clear, but the Gateses of the world are saying most in the Republican caucus do not support funding for Ukraine. Therefore, he cannot bring that uh, that bill to the floor. So, you know, and if he's going to do that in a couple of weeks, you know, that'll be the first test. Will the fractured Republican caucus, you know, divide again and, and enter into a new round of chaos over that? The other thing he's got to decide is. There's a, a, a privilege resolution from some of the New York Republicans trying to uh, expel George Santos. Does he bring that up? The, the House would surely vote to expel Santos, but then the four-seat majority for Republicans becomes a three-seat majority. What is uh, Mike Johnson going to do there? So that you know, those are sort of the issues he's got to deal with just over the next three weeks. Okay. Well, thanks for bringing us up to date, and let's hope that. Republican caucus cuts him enough slack to keep the, the government going. Well, thanks. Well, it's uh, always a pleasure to talk with you, even if the events in our country are not pleasurable. Well, I, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. That beautiful music is by Leo Kotke, the great Leo Kotke. I want to thank Peter Ogburn for producing this podcast. We'll talk again next week.
Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. The early 2000s was a wild time for reality TV. There seemed to be an endless supply of shows that delivered entertainment for us, but trauma for children. I'm Misha Brown, the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each week on The Big Flop, comedians join me to chronicle the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? We recently looked behind the scenes of what was really going on at Abby Lee Miller's dance studio. Abby's biggest misstep wasn't screaming nonsensical catchphrases or throwing chairs on television, but instead, she was choreographing financial fraud in plain sight. Join me to break down all the wild details of Abby Lee Miller's story. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Big Flop early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Once upon a beat. Remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuse, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the New Kids and Family Podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat.